You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Bears fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation. Bill Zimmerman with you, and yes, that was 15 seconds on the opening note. We held it for 15 seconds because the Chicago Bears shocked the football world with a victory over the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick on Monday Night Football, stopping Belichick's march on George Hallis's win total. We know he'll pass it, but he will not pass it by defeating the Chicago Bears as a guy who loves Bears history. That did bring a little bit of a smile to my face. Excited for our guest today, Courtney Cronin from ESPN, the Bears beat writer, uh, beat reporter, I guess I should say. She will be along here in a few minutes. Excited to talk to her. First opportunity to talk to her on this podcast. And it is a great week to do a podcast because you've got to feel good about the Chicago Bears. And I know I was a little doomy and gloomy last week. The roller coaster of this season continues. But let me tell you why I'm so excited. Of course, I'm excited they won the game. But let me really tell you why I am excited about this victory. And that is Luke Getze. Yes, that's right. Luke Getze, who I think without question had his best performance as offensive coordinator slash play caller for the Chicago Bears. He utilized Justin Fields brilliantly, and it's amazing to say something like this because Bill Belichick is arguably, look, you can make the argument that Bill Belichick is the best defensive coach in NFL history. Obviously, Buddy Ryan, Wade Phillips, Vic Fangio in, in recent years. You know, you can you can roll the clock back to some of the great defensive stalwarts of, of the past. But, I mean, at least in the last 30, 40 years, Bill Belichick's the best defensive coach. I mean, I, I just, you know, coach overall, of course, yeah, but defensively, what he's been able to do in New England and before that as the Giants defensive coordinator and all, it is, it is a remarkable resume. And the fact that really... Luke Getze ran circles around Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick did not have an answer for Justin Fields. And that's why this podcast, other podcasts, other Twitter reporters, national, local, have been screaming about the utilization of Justin Fields and how Luke Getze had been using him. And I I think it really came to a fervor pitch last week after that Washington game where people are sitting there going, what are they doing with Justin Fields? How do you have the ball inside the 10 and not utilize Justin Fields? How are you not taking advantage of his skill sets? It's been frustrating because it has not happened very frequently 
unless Justin Fields just starts playing backyard football and does it on his own. But we saw a, 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 an effort by Getze to get designed runs in there, to move Fields around, to roll him out. And with the threat of Justin Fields' legs, and you heard, this isn't coming from me, this is coming from the experts in the league. Phil Simms said it, I think Troy Aikman said it, that other than Lamar Jackson, he may be the most dynamic runner in the NFL at the quarterback position. And he is a Chicago Bear, and you need to take advantage of that. And I get it. You don't want your quarterback getting hit 250 times a year because he's running the ball 10, 12 times a game, plus getting hit on, on dropbacks and whatnot. But when you have a quarterback with that skill set, you can't change who Justin Fields is. And that doesn't mean that Justin Fields needs to run the ball 20 times a game and they got to go back to 80s and 90s Nebraska and the, the triple option. That's, that's not what I'm, I'm saying here, but you absolutely need to move Justin Fields around. You need to roll him out. You need to get to the point where the defense needs to put a spy on him and keep a defender shadowing him throughout the play because that's one less defender that Fields has to worry about passing the football. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I was talking about last week about what it can do to open up the entire offense if a defense is panicking about what Justin Fields can do. If a defense on third and three doesn't know if Khalil Herbert or David Montgomery are going to get the ball, doesn't know if Fields is going to do a quick pass, doesn't know if Fields is going to keep the ball himself, or just move Justin out and know that if no one's open, he could just scurry up forward and get the three or four yards he needs himself. That opens up the offense so much, and I've been screaming that we need to do a better job, that the Chicago Bears, that Luke Getze needs to do a better job with this, you know, with, with how he's utilizing Justin Fields. And I think he he, he really grabbed it. I don't know if the, the Washington game, the national attention helped prod that along. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the McCaskey speech to the coaches about Bill Belichick better not pass George Hallis against the Chicago Bears. I don't know what happened. But Luke Getze did a 180, at least about a 90-degree turn, a 120-degree turn on how he was calling offensive games. And that's what I was excited about because that Justin Fields is the guy that Bears fans keep going, God, if they can utilize him better, if he can grow a little bit, this is such a dynamic quarterback. And we saw it. And, like, you look at Fields' passing stats. They're not gaudy. I think it's 13 for 21. You know, one touchdown, one pick. They're not gaudy. But they were effective and efficient because of when he was able to complete those. Because the third down conversion rate was just so good the entire game. And the reason that third down uh, conversion rate was so good was because the defense was off balance. Bill Belichick's defense was off balance. And it was because of Justin Fields' dynamic athletic ability and the way Luke Getze was utilizing it. So that's why I'm excited because if Luke Getze is gonna run this offense moving forward, this Chicago Bears team is gonna be able to have some surprises along the way. If Luke Getze goes back to his old ways, we're going to, you know, the roller coaster is going to continue. We're going to bottom out, you know, next week. It's going to be frustrating. You know, we know Fields is going to be inconsistent. He's young. He's growing. He's in his third offense in three years. We've heard all these things. So we need to see growth, not just from Justin Fields, 
but from Luke Getze, and I really think Luke Getze may have turned the corner. I know a lot of people spoke highly of him, including Aaron Rodgers. A lot of people were excited with what he could do. But to be honest, those, those first few games of the season, you could not have been impressed with what Luke Getze had done. Maybe you like his running scheme. I'm not saying everything was bad, but the play calling, the, the scripting plays early in the first quarter, all those things were just not going well. And they went well, and that's exciting. I want Getze to build on that, and that could be really really beneficial for the Chicago Bears and Justin Fields moving forward. Now, there's one thing I, I want to talk about from the last couple days here, and, and there is an obsession on social media, and I've seen you know ESPN and some of the national outlets discussing this as well. This, did Mac Jones, did his interception, the, uh, the Brisker interception, did it hit the wire, the camera wire, and, and that caused the interception? Who cares? This is the most irrelevant conversation potentially in the history of football because that play literally meant nothing. Now, was it awesome for Brisker? Was it a great athletic play? Confidence builder for Brisker, for him, something for him to build on and move forward for the season? Sure, great, wonderful. But to pretend that this had any impact on two things, the game itself or the New England quarterback situation is dumb and irrelevant. First of all, that interception was early in the game and the Bears responded by going three and out. It's not like they turned around and ran up, you know, got a touchdown or brisker, ran it in for a touchdown, three and out, and they punted the ball back to New England. And you know what New England did? Scored a touchdown. Then they, New England got the ball back again. You know what they did after that? Scored a touchdown and took the lead. So the New England Patriots, after Mac Jones's interception, scored twice after the Bears didn't and took the lead. And it was after that where the Patriots dissolved. So don't sit there and tell me that that interception somehow changed the momentum of the game. It did not. In fact, the game was in the Bears' momentum, and for whatever reason, after that interception, it swung into the Patriots' momentum. So don't even try to pretend that that had some sort of impact on the game. Second of all, well, first of all, I don't even think it hit the wire, but second of all, the impact that it may have had on the New England Patriots quarterbacks, are we, are we serious? Yes, Mac Jones got benched there and, and Zappi played well for that next quarter, but he was terrible in the second half. So if Mac Jones somehow did lose his starting position to Zappi there after that interception. Zappi handed it right back by the end of the game. There, there is no clear cut who's leading this Patriots quarterback controversy. Bill Belichick has kind of mucked it up. I'm not sure exactly what he was thinking there, but there is nothing to talk about there. And I just, I wasn't even planning on bringing it up on this podcast, but the last couple of days I have just seen, oh, the, the wire, the camera wire, the camera. Who cares about this camera wire? It is absolutely irrelevant to the game and the Patriots quarterback situation. So let's not discuss that ever again, please. Now, the, the last thing I want to talk about is the defensive side of the football. And, and you do have to like what you've seen there. This defense continues to get better. You know, you would have expected this defense to get better. You would expect the Eberflus, Eberflus system to be something that's beneficial for this defense and could help this defense. This defense has not been the same since Chuck Pagano took over. You can say what you like about Sean Desai. Didn't like about Sean Desai. 
kind of irrelevant. Chuck Pagano set this defense back. They lost what they had with Fangio from a scheming advantage perspective and putting players in the right place to succeed. Pagano was a bad hire. Uh, that, that is very clear now. Uh, it was clear to some people at the time, but it is very clear now. And um, the Chicago Bears defense continues to improve. Is it still some holes? Absolutely still some holes. But, you know, first of all, in the secondary, Kendall Vildor, who has been picked on on this podcast in the past, continues to have a solid season. You know, yes, he's given up a couple big plays, but he has been very consistent week in and week out. He's getting pretty sticky in coverage and he's not out of position, and you have to like what you've seen from Vildor. Is he a long-term building block? I don't know. Definitely too early to say, but let's, uh, you know, let, let's keep an eye on Kendall Vildor and see how he can develop moving forward here with this defense. Brisker obviously made some really good plays. You have to like what you've seen from Brisker. He is at minimum going to be a solid safety with the potential to really become a, a Pro Bowl caliber safety. Have to like what you've seen there. Eddie Jackson, definitely having a, a resurgence this year with, with uh, God, I almost said Pagano, with uh, Flus and, and everything there. Good to see that. And obviously Gordon continues to improve. Feel like they're asking Gordon to do less. Maybe it's because of Vildor's emergence, but they're not moving. I, from what I can tell, uh, I have not watched this game back yet, uh, but Vildor does not see, or I'm sorry, Gordon does not seem to be getting moved around quite as much. They seem to be locking him in specifically into a role and having him play it. And that definitely seems to have helped him there. So, you know, and, and Jalen Johnson, when Jalen's on the field, we know he is a difference maker as well. So you got to like what you're seeing from the secondary. Roquan Smith playing much better. Hopefully crappy Roquan there is, is a thing of the past. We saw some very inconsistent play from him early. Maybe it was adjusting to a new defensive system. Maybe it was the hangover from the the uh, holdout. I'm going to hold in. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but definitely improved play from Roquan Smith. And the defensive, you know, up front, not bad. Justin Jones, good good game, obviously. They, they got some penetration as a unit overall. Robert Smith may have not... Uh, um, Robert Quinn may not have uh, showed up too much in this stat sheet, but I thought Quinn was pretty disruptive and, and you know, was... Uh, a pretty damn good focus for for the Patriots offense, trying to contain him a little bit. And and overall, look, the defense has played well all season, especially in the second half. They're not giving up a lot of big plays. You have to really like how this defensive unit has played. So you know, is there some some promise here for the Bears this season? You know, sure. Do the Bears probably consider themselves playoff contenders right now? Well, they should. Do I think they're playoff contenders? No, not really. They're three and four, and they've got some tough games still on the schedule, you know, especially, you know, like the Buffalo Bills coming up, you know, later in the year in, in December. Don't have to play the Packers for a while. The Packers have time potentially to figure things out. You know, there's there's some tougher games on this schedule still, but at the same time, if Justin Fields and Luke Getze can put together performances like that, then that is 100%, 100%, going to make these games a lot more interesting and potentially get some wins. Because look, bottom line is right now, you're what, about 40% into the season and the Bears are currently a half game out of the playoffs. Forget tiebreakers and all that, it's it's too early for that. But the Rams right now are the seven seed at three and three and the Bears are sitting at three and four. 
So we can sit there and understand that this is a rebuilding season for Chicago and that they are devoid of talent in a lot of areas and they are going to continue to struggle in a lot of areas because Poles has to reset the roster this year. But the bottom line is, right now, I, I know we've talked about trade deadline coming up. They should move Quinn. They should move this guy and that guy. And they should be sellers. And yeah, they should. But when you're sitting a half game out of the playoffs, 40% into the season, you cannot be sellers. The 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 Eastern Conference, then the NFC is bad. It is, it is not a good conference this year. It's not top heavy either. I mean, look, you got Philadelphia. They, they, they seem like they're legit. Dallas looks legit. The Giants, I know none of us are really quite buying the Giants yet, but the Giants are winning games. The Vikings are there. Someone's got to win the NFC South. It's probably going to be Tampa Bay, but they could just win eight games this year and, and, and win that division. And in the West, definitely not what people expected. I thought the Seahawks were going to be one of the worst three or four teams in the league. Seahawks are playing good football. San Francisco's up and down. Arizona's not very good. And, and the Rams. So what a division that we thought was going to be impossible looks very beatable from, from top to bottom. And, and there's just not seven good football teams in this, in this league right now, in this conference. So the Chicago Bears should consider themselves playoff contenders. I don't consider them playoff contenders, but they absolutely should. So what a fun game it was against New England. Really enjoyed seeing how that offense looked. Anyway, were there some issues? Yeah, there were some issues. Judon just embarrassed Larry Borum. Again, proving that Larry Borum is a good backup. He should be a swing tackle, not a starter. I know he's been playing better the last couple weeks, but that is still a position I would address in the off season. So uh, that's about all I got to say. I've been babbling long enough. Let's get to our guest. It is Courtney Cronin. She joins us next. This is Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman will be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right. I am very excited for this next guest. It's her first appearance on the podcast. And, and those who listen to this podcast regularly know that we, we do a lot of Chicago media, you know, whether it be Sylvie, whether it be Waddle or people on the beat like Biggs and Johns and, and Fishbane. So very excited for this person. We haven't had her on yet. It's it's her first year on the beat for ESPN Chicago. She is Courtney Cronin and she joins us now. Courtney, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Th thank you for making time. And, and let me just say, I think, you know, a, a lot of these podcasts have kind of been doom and gloom the last few weeks. <laughs> With, yeah. with how this team has played and some of the issues, which we'll, we'll get into, obviously. But 
really wanted to talk to you about this performance against the Patriots. This was fun. This was exciting. Um, and for me, and this is kind of what I said to open my podcast, I was actually most excited about Luke Getze. Now, of course, it was Justin Fields that, that made all the highlights on the field. But the turnaround from how Luke Getze utilized him to me was just made this whole offense a whole different dimension. And that that to me was the most exciting thing about this game. Yeah. And I think that you you look at, OK, you give Luke Getze 10 full days in between games. Here's what he can turn out. So obviously there's you know, a lot to like within the game plan that they drew up that he specifically drew up for Justin Fields. And it's nice because you saw something different. And, you know, one thing that I gauged with players after the game in Foxborough was when coaches say there's going to be personnel adjustments, there's going to be scheme adjustments and actually follow through on what they say they're going to do. How do you as players take that? Because I, I think that there's a buy-in to that, that players have to have in order for teams to be successful and for players to trust the coaching staff that they have their best interest at heart and that they are going to put them in position to win games and be successful and help them get over the hump. So, you know, for Luke Getze to go in with the mindset that he wants to get Justin Fields on the move, it shows you that, you know, he did his research. He showed, they learned that Lamar Jackson had a lot of success against that defense in New England and that, you know, quarterbacks with design runs tends to really, you know, stump the, the New England Patriots. And also, I mean, just at the total rushing success of this team, 243 yards against New England Patriots. And I think they gave up 188 to the Packers. Um, you know, before that, obviously the Ravens had success against them too, and, and have in previous years as well. So, you know, for, for Getze to really dial into what he knew his quarterback strengths were, but also the strengths of this offense and helping put this group in position to succeed on the road. And, you know, truly, I mean, there, there was nothing in question that game whatsoever. It was a complete, you know, beat down by the Chicago bears on both, I know all three sides of the ball, um, you know, particularly with uh, the way that defense shut out that group in the second half, but the way that the offense didn't, get it, let it, you know, foot off the throttle, so to speak, uh, when they scored on five drives in the second, in the second half with five straight drives in the second half, that's pretty impressive. And I think a lot of that has to go back and, and a lot of credit has to be given to Luke Getze and what he decided was the best, you know, path for success for this team in week seven. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I, I agree with it, with every point you brought up. And, and that's what I also think is remarkable. And yeah, it's, it's not that, this is one of those Patriots Patriots teams with Tom Brady that went 14 and two every year and, and dominated everyone. But this is still, and I have construction going on in my house. So if you hear something, <laughs> it's nothing I can do about it. But um, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that Bill Belichick, I mean, is probably the best coach in NFL history, maybe in sports history. And, you know, in terms of his defensive mind, clearly the best in the last 30, 40 years, going back to when he was the defense coordinator with the Giants in the 80s and, and what they accomplished with those defenses. And the fact that that Bill Belichick was, and not just on offense, in, in all stages, his, his coaching staff was outcoached thoroughly in every phase of this game by, by Matt Eberflus's team and his, his coaching staff was remarkable to me and was really 
a confidence booster and I think a stepping stone for this coaching staff as a whole from top to bottom with what they were able to accomplish against what has been consistently the best coach team in football the last 20 years. Yeah. And I think that boost that provides a confidence boost for the staff because you have Maddie Eberflus, who's a first time head coach. Alan Williams is calling defensive plays. It's not that the head coach who's your defensive minded guy is also calling plays. So, I mean, that's not a first for Williams, but it's, it's a chance for him to, you know, have ownership of that group. Luke Getze, first time play caller on the offensive side of the ball. And, you know, it's a group of coaches, many of whom were not together before. I mean, Eberflus has a couple pieces here and there that were with him in Indianapolis and have Dallas ties to him. But um, outside of that, I mean, it's it's a relatively new group that's together. So I think for this coaching staff to know that they can draw up a game plan in the time that they had to truly do a nice deep dive self-scout during the mini buy, that's got to give them confidence that they're doing things the right way. And that eventually, even with some of the talent deficiencies that they have, you know, across the board, I mean, I think that those things still exist no matter uh, of a 34, 14 win or not, but they can, they're headed in the right direction. It may take a long time to get there. And it may, you know, the, the outcome of this season may not be some drastic turnaround following this game. I mean, you heard Ryan Poles say as much the other day when he spoke to us before the game, that they're a young team that's still learning how to finish games. Well, they checked the first box in doing that in new England, where they put action behind what they wanted to do, what they said they were going to do. And so much of that falls on the coaching staff for the game plan that they drew up. I mean, it's a really well coached team. And I know that people want instantaneous success and, you know, there will be, there will be those who believe that they can carry this over and, you know, make a run here, but the stepping stones that this group is taking the stuff that Matt Eberflus, Luke Getze, all these coaches talk about where incremental progress is the goal, not these wide sweeping statements uh, that they expect, you know, huge success from week to week you know, they, they really are walking the walk. And I think that that's really important for a coaching staff because there's a trickle down effect to the players by far. Yeah, a- absolutely. And I think a lot of that, that trickle down effect that you say, you know, I mean, with Eberflus being a, a defensive minded coach, I think it really has trickled down to the defense. That defense has played really well all season as, as a unit. Yeah. There's been individuals who have struggled here or there, but as a unit, I think they have looked really well all season long. And I think we're seeing growth from Gordon and Brisker. I think this was a a really good game for Brisker here. I think he had kind of leveled off a little bit, but I mean, he was playing pretty well and not saying he was poor, but we hadn't seen as much growth and and Gordon, I don't know, maybe they were putting him in a, in a better position to to six. They were asking Kyle Gordon to do a lot the first few weeks of the year, maybe too much, you know, Kendall Vildor, who was, just borderline atrocious uh, prior to this season has really started to come into his own. I, I really think this defense is kind is, is buying the, 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 the flu system, so to speak. And is, you know, they're, especially in the second half, they're, they're barely giving up points in the second half, which, you know, for as bad as this bears offense has been most first halves, having those second halves by the defense is the only way that they're staying in games and able to win some of these games. So I really think, that, you know, that the hits and, and everything we've kind of heard about all season long is really reflecting in this defense as a unit. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, the second half of games, they've been a completely different team. It feels like, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And we've asked players, like, how do you carry that over to the first half? How do you start faster? And it feels like they're on the cusp 
of being able to figure that out. Now, keeping teams out of the end zone, no matter when you can do it, is a big thing. And the fact that they had to prepare for two different quarterbacks and they saw two different quarterbacks in New England, I think shows you just like what the buy-in is of this group and being able to stop, um, you know, two very different game plans. Obviously with Mac Jones, you know, they were in a more straight you know, a straight drop back game by and large. I mean, they use so much play action with Bailey Zappi and, and so often they were getting kind of sucked up underneath. We saw that happen against um, the New York Giants, uh, certainly with the Minnesota Vikings. And I think they're starting to get better at that. And, and you brought up the two rookies, you know, with Jaquan Brisker getting his intercept, interception and then Kyler Gordon capping that off. I know it was a late one and, and he wanted to score on it too. We talked to him after the game. He's kind of kicking himself about that. But, you know, Gordon has kind of gone I guess I wouldn't say he's been forgotten. He's just kind of gone by the wayside here the last couple of weeks. And certainly, you know, early on he struggled. I mean, he's been, he bit on play action a bunch uh, against the Packers. There was a play that I remember it happened to a big, like 50 plus yard gain against the Houston Texans. And they're asking him to do a lot because he's playing the nickel. He's capable of doing that. I think that that's kind of like to his credit, he, you know, is a, their highest draft pick for a reason but it takes time to be able to be good at that position and do all that you're asked to do. And, you know, you're starting to see some scheme adjustments here with the secondary. It's a young group outside of Jalen Johnson, who's a, you know, three-year starter and Andy Jackson, who's a multiple year starter too. But outside of that, like, you know, you mentioned Kendall Vildor, first year starting cornerback for this team, a rookie cornerback in, in Kyler Gordon, and then Jaquan Brisker on the, in the back end of the defense. Like that's a lot of youth. So there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be growing pains, but that to me was probably the biggest storyline on the defensive side of the ball coming out of the Patriots game, just how good their two top draft picks are playing right now and played, played in that game because there was Ryan Poles got a lot of criticism for not utilizing either of those top two draft picks on offensive players. And I think he deserves some patience here because of what you're seeing those draft picks pan out as. And, and just, I mean, it was a secondary that needed a lot of work and a lot of attention and it wasn't going to be pretty to start out with, but they had to address it. Like, again, like you go back to what happened in the draft and happened in free agency. They had so many holes in the roster. You could have listed all the positions up on like a, a chalkboard um, or a dartboard and throwing a dart at them and any of them would have made sense to, for this team to address. So I think it is a good sign that the two that they did go with, you know, had a game the way that they did in new England. And again, we'll, we'll have to work through the rookie curve here this season, but you're already seeing, I, I feel like the secondary is in good hands for years to come. I think it's safe to say that. The secondary does look good. And, and I'll admit that I, I was definitely one of the ones that has been critical of how polls dealt with those two picks. I still think, that getting Justin Fields some more help would have would have been beneficial, but certainly can't argue with the results of how, how Brisker and Gordon looked, especially against the Patriots. And, and you brought up the quarterbacks. I just one side note here because the last couple of days I have seen just the the sports world, Twitter, and even some of the national outlets obsessed with this Mac Jones interception and if it hit the the camera cord or not. And, yeah. and my whole point of this is is why do we care? I mean, it was a bad throw by a second-year quarterback. It happens. It may have hit the court. I don't think it did. Great play by Brisker, but the Bears went three and out after that. The Patriots scored on their next two possessions and took the lead. 
And if Mac Jones did, they were saying, oh, well, he could have lost his job on that throw. Well, Bailey Zappi tried to hand it right back to him in the second half. So I, I sit here and this, to me, that play may as well just been a, a punt. Like to me, it had so little impact on, on this on this game and for the Patriots quarterback controversy that I really don't understand why we're spending so much time on it looking at this thing. It just didn't seem like an impactful play to me. Yeah. And I, I think you, you mentioned it right there, the quarterback controversy, because it does feel like there is one in new England right now, people are going to nitpick trying to figure out, well, why, why is that? Where was the moment that Mac Jones truly lost his job? If, if he did, um, and if we end up seeing Bailey Zappi starting, against the New York Jets this week like when was that moment and I think that there is something to be said about how they utilize both quarterbacks I mentioned the play action usage it, sure. it just feels like there's I wouldn't say that Mac Jones has been put in a position to not succeed he had the ankle injury he was coming back off of it they're two different quarterbacks but they're playing relatively similar I mean Bailey Zappi did not have a great game by any stretch he was not great in the second half and I know that everybody caught zappy fever or whatever it was the first, the three games that he was playing in place of Mac Jones. And that's a fun storyline to follow until it's not until you do have a legitimate quarterback controversy on your hands. And if you do have bill Belichick utilizing two guys, like that shows you that's a really a sign of weakness within this team. So I didn't read too much into the comments. I mean, I, I get it. Like people are going to, I guess it's kind of an interesting thing because it's, that would be such a poor mechanic like within your throat, within your throwing mechanics, if it did hit the, the sure. sky cam cord, that that's probably just like, you know, one of those things where people are like, did he really, did that really happen? Cause it is so abnormal and bizarre to see something like that happen. Yeah, no, it is. And I mean, it's gotten to the point where ESPN has put out a statement. So it's just, it just seems like it's, it's something that we just, that, that no one wants to let go, but uh, I, I'm going to wrap up with here in the next few minutes, but I did want to ask you, you know, obviously Fields growth and, and Getsy growing with him, you know, as we look forward to the rest of the season, these next 10 games is mm -hmm. going to be the, the main focal point of, of this team. But, you know, for the rest of the team, like what, as you're covering this team, what are you going to be looking for in terms of growth and improvement outside of, of Justin Fields? I mean, look, I know we all know this is a rebuilding team, but they are three and four, a half game out of the playoffs. Is, is, is it a playoff? Is it wins? Or is it just kind of the, the play and improve play? What, what as, as, as a reporter covering this team, what do you want to see besides Justin Fields growth? What do you want to see from the rest of the team? Well, they, they're at the, still the beginning stages. And I, I mean, they've gone a long time now. It's been since January that Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus were hired and they had a whole off season together. Like they're still in the early stages of this rebuild. So what does that mean for the roster going forward? Like I'm not, I don't think playoffs should be the ex expectation at all, even though there is like a lot of parity within the NFL this year, more than we've seen in a long time. It's still a very young team. If they somehow got into the postseason, that's, that's, you can chalk this, no matter if they lost in the first round or not, like this is just a complete hypothetical. That's way above expectation for where this group was. Justin Fields and his development and figuring out because you're not going to have the full answer on him after the season. You, you just won't, but can he show you enough to show that he's worth building around next year? Because right now the bears are in a spot 
that they don't have the answer yet. And he does have the backing, at least publicly, of the general manager and his head coach and offensive coordinator have had his back um, throughout the first seven weeks of the season. Can Fields, can they continue to put Fields in position where the game plan plays to his strengths. And on top of that, because of course, like it's like fields is like the big overarching subject. And then like the subsect subsections of that, you know, what does this offensive line look like? If Lucas Patrick is able to come back, um, we know he has a toe injury right now. We'll see the severity of that here soon, but you know, is he, what does the offensive line look like with some of the action, with the changes that we saw early on in the new England game, if those can stick, do you have a more formidable group up there? I think the Tevin Jenkins story is a really good one. Um, And the bears, you know, locked into that situation where it worked out, where moving somebody from their natural position to an interior position on the other side of the line, like usually that's not a success story. They've got one there. So what does that look like throughout the rest of the year? And is that your long-term answer at that position? On top of that, I'll go back to the secondary because that's a group where, you know, Eddie Jackson has really turned around his career after kind of an up and down last two years. What does that look like for his future in Chicago beyond this year? And, and Gordon Brisker, uh, some of the younger, some of the younger defenders, Dominique Robinson, like he, he's kind of gone, he hasn't gone under the radar because I feel like a lot of people do talk about him and what he brings to this pass rush is a fifth round pick who was, you know, playing on the offensive side of the ball as of two or three seasons ago. In college, like can can the young talent that they're developing right now help them make an impact next year to where the expectation for this team is higher than where it's at right now? Because right now, this is a group where it's like, can this work? Did do they have the right philosophy going forward as far as how they select players, body types, athletic traits, all things like that? Do those guys fit within what they're trying to build here? Um, And can they be part of the plan going forward? Because this roster is made up of young players and some veterans who are here on prove it deals just to help them get through this year. And hopefully for their sake, set them up for, you know, set those players up for their next contract for making, um, you know, making a run at some point in their career, whether it's with the bears or somewhere else. And the players that come to mind for me, like are, are this is within this wide receiver core. We don't know what Byron Pringle is because he's on injured reserve. Like he's played a little bit, but hasn't made contributions. Valus Jones has not made many contributions on the offensive side of the ball. Nikhil Harry was just active for his first game. Didn't really do anything against new England. So like, can those players, the second half of the seasons, more or less, can they show that they can make an impact within this group and that they might be here beyond this year too. So, um, and obviously some people are under contract for, you know, one, two years, things like that. But can those guys that I had mentioned be here for what the bears are planning to build beyond the 2022 season. Yeah. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of this is, you know, what, which one of these players, you know, obviously the ones that Ryan Poles are drafting, we expect to sit around, but you know, which ones from Ryan Pace's group will make it going forward. I, I bring it up all the time when Ryan Pace took over and they got good in 2018, there were only five players left from the, the previous regime. Yeah, uh, it was Charles Leno and Kyle Long on the offensive line. It was Sherrick McManus and Pat O'Donnell defensively and it, or on, on special teams. And it was Kyle Fuller defensively. And that was it. So, you know, a lot of the familiar faces are going to be going out the door in the next couple of years. But it is interesting to see who uh, who those guys are going to be that are part of this team's future. Uh, last thing before I let you go, I just got to ask, uh, you know, 
your first year on the beat, how, how has it been uh, being on the beat working? I, I believe you're from Chicago originally. So kind of how, how's it been? I know you were with the Vikings covering the Vikings previously, kind of bounced around, did some college football and stuff before that. So uh, back home, so to speak, and, and covering the Bears. How's, how's it been the first year? It, it's been great, um, you know, to be still in the NFC North because my familiarity with this division is it goes back now six seasons because I covered the Vikings, like you mentioned, for five years for ESPN before I took over uh, for Jeff Dickerson down in Chicago, who was a mentor of mine. Um, he's still, you know, his presence is still felt here on this beat daily. And it's, it's really cool because, you know, I grew up in the area. I wasn't a Bears fan growing up, but to see what this team means to this city and kind of getting myself acclimated with that, like now living here for the first time in more than a decade is really cool. And, I, and I've really enjoyed the work that I've been able to do, you know, with ESPN, but also locally with ESPN 1000. We've done some really incredible things. Their Bears coverage and just the the impact that they have in this city in kind of guiding the conversation on the radio airwaves is cool to see because that, that it's not like that in every market. So for me to get to be part of that um, and, you know, with the kind of that group of people is really, I mean, it's a career, career milestone for me. So I've really enjoyed it. And it's, you know, it's just different because this is my first time covering a quarterback this young. The youngest I had ever covered would have been Derek Carr in his third season when he was with, with you know, early on with the Raiders. Um, so it's different for, for me seeing what a franchise quarterback, you know, and, and what those look like versus somebody who's still trying to figure it out and making some strides along the way, but also, you know, going through the learning curve process. I mean, that's, that's completely different. And to see, will it pan out? Will it not? Like that's the big open-ended question that we're all trying to answer here. And, and I think we all know that it doesn't come after the season, but it's something that you are constantly checking in on to see what progress is made and where more progress needs to be made. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned Jeff Dickerson, and obviously that was, that was a big loss for the, the Bears family and the community. And, and I, genuinely mean this i i don't think there is a, a better person that espn could have brought in to to replace him you've made yourself a key member of the beat right out of the gate and i, I know bears fans enjoy your coverage and what you bring to the table and i think uh you know you've done a great job and we look forward to having you as part of the bears family for for years to come so courtney thanks, thanks so much for so much time really appreciate it and we'll hopefully talk to you again soon for sure thanks bell i appreciate it all right there she is courtney cronin ESPN's Chicago Bears beat reporter. If you don't follow her on Twitter, you should. She is Courtney R. Cronin, and she is an excellent follow. She, she like, I, and I'm serious when I said that. I mean, JD, everyone loved JD. Uh, Jeff was a, was a great part of the the Bears beat and, and the Bears community, and obviously that was a crushing loss for his family and for all that that knew him. But Courtney has has stepped into that role. She's done a fantastic job really has she and i mean that i mean of the beat writers that, that are covering this team i mean she she might already be in like that top three she might be there with with bigs and johns and and at that level like she she really has added something to this beat it's been been really nice addition and i've uh really enjoyed that conversation i thought courtney courtney brought up a lot of good points uh you know and i agree with a lot of what she she said there um you know this this team has to figure out what what players are going to be part of this team moving forward. That is really 
what the assessment is for this year. We know we need to see growth from Justin Fields and we want to see growth from the coaching staff. But, you know, Tevin, you know, let's let's look for a, a minute or two before I get, sign off. Let's look at some of the key players for Ryan Pace that are now Ryan Poles' players. Tevin Jenkins, for example. You know, Courtney brought him up. He is doing a fantastic job at right guard. I don't know if you noticed, I believe it was Mitchell Schwartz, the former offensive lineman from the, from the Chiefs. Go check out his feed. He featured a video where Tevin Jenkins just pummeled Matthew Judon, drove him into the ground. Matthew Judon, not some scrub, Matthew Judon, drove him into the ground. Tevin Jenkins is really becoming something special at guard. You gotta like what you're seeing there. You know, all right, Cody Whitehair, probably not gonna be there just because of his age. I know he's having a nice season. Maybe he's back next year, maybe he isn't. Cody Whitehair, though, not, I don't think is, you know, fitting in the future plans. You know, in three years from now, is Cody Whitehair still on this team? Most likely not. You know, tight end, we've got, well, Larry Borum. I already made my, my thoughts on Larry Borum. Let's move on from there. Tight end, Cole Komet. Komet is useful. Komet, you know, a decent blocker. He, he can catch the ball if it's, it's in his vicinity. He's not going to make dynamic plays in the offense. He'll plow a few people over from time to time when he has the ball. But Cole Komet is not going to be a difference maker. He is not going to be Travis Kelsey. He is not going to be Zach Ertz in his prime. He's not going to be Antonio Gates or any of these huge, great pass-catching tight ends uh, of, 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 you know, at that position. He is potentially going to be a useful player. Does Ryan Poles want to pay a useful player? when it's Cole Komet's time. That's going to be up to up to Ryan Poles. Khalil Herbert looks great. David Montgomery playing well. Going to be a free agent. Is it worth paying him? Well, the one thing I was looking at, there are a ton. Go, go check it out on any of the websites that do free agency. There are a ton of good running backs that are going to be available this offseason. That could open the door for a David Montgomery return because there may not be much of a market for running backs this year. So those good running backs, which is what Montgomery is. Montgomery, I know some Bears fans love him, but he is not an elite talent. He is not a top five, six back in the league. He is good. He may be average, but he is. that's what he is. He is replaceable, as we've seen, because Khalil Herbert is running better than he is this year. So David Montgomery, is it worth, if you can get him on an affordable, like, two-year deal, is it worth keeping him around? I would say it would be, but if you've got to start paying him you know, uh, like some four-year, $50 million deal, you absolutely should be spending money elsewhere. Uh, elsewhere. Darnell Mooney, I think with if Justin Fields is on this team, Darnell Mooney is going to be on this team. I, I think they've made it clear that they want to play together, and, and that's interesting there. Are any of these other wide receivers going to be here beyond this year? I have any, you know, Bellis Jones, obviously we're going to see if he's something. He has not. I know he scored a touchdown a couple weeks ago, but he has not had any impact on this team. Courtney mentioned that he hasn't made much of an impact offensively and all the impact he's made on special teams is negative. So we have not seen any, I know he was hurt. So, you know, he's only played a couple games. So give him a chance, but we have not seen anything positive out of Velas Jones. And, you know, in terms of the, you know, the young offensive line pulls his offensive lineman, it's, it's way too early on any of these. You hope Braxton, Braxton Jones, I thought had a good game against the Patriots, uh, but you, you just have to see, you know, what you're going to have there. Sam Mustafer, you know, had a pretty good game as it turned out against New England when he was forced back into the starting lineup. But at the same time, Sam Mustafer is not going to be on this team. He's not going to be the center for the next five, six years. I, I, I think that's clear. 
So, you know, Roquan Smith, what's going to happen with Roquan Smith? I think that's very interesting. That's You don't let a player like Roquan Smith walk out the door, but paying Roquan Smith $100 million, if that's still what he's going to be asking for with no agent, is going to be a challenge this offseason. He's playing better. I know EJ, EJ and I talked about how he might be playing his way off the tag, but, you know, games like that that he had against New England, he'll be playing himself right back towards the tag there. So really interesting to see. That's that's what I'm focused on for the rest of the year. I'm not focused on wins and losses. You love the wins. If they somehow, even if they went eight and nine or the seven seed in the playoffs, yeah, we'd all love it because, you know, it would be so unexpected. But again, that's not what they should be worried about this year. And I don't think they are. Now, they're if they have a chance at the playoffs, they're going to fight for the playoffs. But they're looking at development from the individual players. They want the coaching staff to develop as a unit, but individual players, who are the guys they can circle that not necessarily in 2023, but in 2024 and 2025, who are the guys that they can circle and say, this guy is going to be one of the 22 out there starting for this team. So that's that's really what I think needs to be the focal point. Obviously, Justin Fields is the main focal point. And if Luke Getze continues to use him like that, and not just, as, as Courtney said, well, the Patriots struggle against those type of plays. Well, let's make the rest of the league adjust. Let's not just assume it's the Patriots that struggle. Let's see how the rest of the league does with this offense. So I hope Luke Getze continues to do this moving forward. He's got a formidable opponent next week with the Dallas Cowboys. That is a good defense. That is a defensive line that this offensive line will most likely struggle with. I said it the week before against Washington that the Bears offensive line would struggle against that D-line. They did, and Justin Fields barely made it out of the game. So hopefully they, the scheme is a little better. Fields avoids some big hits. And, you know, let's see if they can stay in the game. Before you hope that they beat the Dallas Cowboys, can they stay in the game against Dallas? And can it be a one-possession game in the fourth quarter where they have a chance? It's going to be a tough game. I do think they're going to come up short, and that's okay. Like I said, I am not worried about the playoffs this year. But what I want to see is another compelling game from Justin Fields. If he takes a step back because he doesn't play quite as well, that's fine. But I want to see compelling. I want to see him making some, some good play, pass plays as he did before in, in, in the quick game. I want to see him make some great throws down the field. And of course, I want to see Luke Getze utilize him properly. So let's call this one 27 to 17, a Cowboys victory. We'll talk about it next week. All right, just want to pull back the curtain here a little bit. So when we recorded with Courtney and recorded this podcast, the Robert Quinn trade had not happened yet. But since we've got a, a little window here before between recording time and publication date, just want to add a little you know, addition here to the postscript here on this podcast. Robert Quinn on the move, traded to the Philadelphia Eagles for a fourth-round pick. Bears are eating some of the salary and... I have to say, I am very pleased with this trade. You know, if you listen to this podcast regularly, that I've been critical of Ryan Pohl's first offseason and I think some of the missteps he's had. But I think he played this Robert Quinn situation pretty darn well. You know, I was frustrated that Quinn didn't get moved in the offseason. I thought potentially with a full season, Quinn might be able to net you a third round pick, being they got him, uh, you know, they traded him as a rental. For a fourth round pick, that's probably accurate, but 
I'm going to guess, especially based on how the Mac trade went, that Ryan Poles in the offseason was not willing to eat salary yet. So when a team calls up and says, hey, are you willing to move Robert Quinn? And Poles says, what are you offering? I'm guessing teams wanted them to eat salary. And the Bears said, all right, well, we're going to stand pat. Uh, until we have a better idea of what Quinn's market is. So, you know, you get to the trade deadline, you get to the fact that Robert Quinn not playing particularly well this year. So when Howie Roseman calls and says, hey, you got to eat some salary, but we'll give you a fourth for Quinn, that's a move you got to make. I did not think Quinn would be able to net them a fourth round pick. I thought probably best case was a sixth that could conditionally move to a fifth if Quinn hits certain marks. But a straight four, sign me up. And obviously the Eagles are a good team. That's going to be a late four, but I don't care. I like fourth round picks. They are really valuable, you know, in terms of chips you can use to move up in, say, the second round, you know, or potentially, you know, find really good players still in the fourth round. We don't have to go through, you know, Ryan Pace for all his faults as GM, you know, obviously found a lot of gems in the fourth round, you know, Eddie Jackson included. So, I am pleased. I like what Ryan Poles did here. You know, I think at this point, you want Robinson and you want Gibson out there as much as possible. This is obviously a youth movement, and this gives, you know, Eberflus and Poles a good 10 games to really give them a good 40, 50%, you know, no, I should say, to give them a good, you know, 70, 80% of the snaps and really see what these two can do on the outside and they have a better idea of what they're going to need to do at edge next year. Maybe nothing. Maybe Gibson and Robinson is your pair. But they, they need to have a better idea of what's going on at the edge position. And moving Quinn is going to open up that assessment. So well done, Ryan Poles. And, um, you know, like I said, just wanted to get a few comments in about that Robert Quinn trade before we sign off for this podcast. Bear down, everybody. Adios. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Plot 3 from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point of the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skill and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic.